Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I want to tell you what to expect for today's really special episode. So today I sat down with Randy Rubenstein, who is my parent coach. I joined her program six months ago, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. I'm going to tell you what to expect in this conversation, and I just am so excited. Randy Rubenstein helps parents navigate hard conversations. She has a soft spot for families with strong-willed kiddos and believes that these kids need our help the most. Randy is the founder of Mastermind Parenting, host of the Mastermind Parenting podcast, and author of The Parent Gap. At Mastermind Parenting, we believe that every human deserves to have a family that gets along. Randy works with parents across the U.S. and is based in Houston, Texas, where she lives with her husband, Scott, and their three kids. So let me tell you about this conversation and what you can expect. Um, I, I mentioned in the beginning of this interview that Randy has dramatically changed my life in many ways in six months. She has helped me with our kids with some um, challenging behaviors, some challenging patterns with regards to sleep and given us so much peace of mind, but really her work dives so much deeper than just your parenting. She's tremendously helped me to realize I had more growth and healing open to me um, through some of the recent struggles that I've had in the past year or so. And um, I'm on a really different path, a really much healthier, much more healed path. I thought I had done a bunch of the work and a bunch of the healing and um, there was another level to unlock and I'm uh, I what she's given me in, in six months cannot be measured and uh, I really can't maybe I'll talk more about that in a future podcast in terms of details I know I'm being vague but there's so much to dive into that it's beyond the scope of this intro so I, I said I had to invite Randy on because she has this really unique way of getting helping people get underneath behavior change in a really effective way. So in this interview, you're going to hear us talk about how 
having a highly sensitive child over 20 years ago set Randy on the path of doing this work and really digging in to understand behavior change, understand human brains and science and connection and all the things that are so essential for being a good parent and, and really relating to humans in an incredibly healthy way. We're going to talk about the value of collaboration among people who are self-taught, um, like Randy, and people with more traditional training, like myself. We're going to talk about the parallels between shame and parenting and shame in eating and body stuff, as well as really any behavior change that is riddled with shame. And um, we're going to go through a couple scenarios. We're going to talk about what to do if your kid is, if you're concerned your kid is eating too much sugar. Um, and we're also going to talk about the scenario of what to do if your kid comes to you and says they feel fat or someone made fun of their body. So specifically how to respond to those. And I'll note quickly there that Randy uses some language that we, she and I actually talked offline after the, the episode. And we, um, in me being in her program, she's been really open to just like learning and diving in to some of the things that I've learned in terms of not categorizing foods as even healthy or unhealthy. Anything that makes a dichotomy in foods can, for some people, promote that restrictive mindset um, and just may not be necessary with really promoting that long-term sustainable healthy relationship with food. So the language that she uses here is just um, foods that make you grow versus foods that just taste good. And um, I don't even think that that's necessarily language that is bad by any means or that is not helpful in some cases. It's not language I personally use. And I feel like you can, we, we really talk about how with parenting, you have to live it to give it. You have to be able to show up with some confidence that you're either on the path or you've kind of healed in this area and so for me with my kids, I don't use that specific language. It's really, we don't ever really talk about like foods as good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. I don't feel the need to teach them in that way. Um, but we just kind of, you know, most of the time trying to eat wholesome foods and we don't stress about the times that we don't. And, um, but, but it's really, it's, it was really interesting. And, and Randy and I had some conversations even since the podcast um, recording which is just if we were like, for example, if I were to, she said this actually, throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, well, Randy used some language that's a little bit dichotomous to my system. And so we're just going to like not use this interview or not even like to censor that part. That would really be a disservice to everyone <laughs> because the way that she talks about showing up with what she calls pack leadership and boundaries within your family and within just your life in general is incredibly powerful. And it's something that I am actively working on all the time. Um, but I've made tremendous progress just in the time of knowing her. And, um, and I think it really brings up this broader discussion that I've kind of touched on in this podcast, which is if we are kind of categorizing people as like this person gets it and this person's weight inclusive and intuitive eating trained or, you know, health at every size aligned, and this person's not, we're going to miss out on so much. And so you'll, you've already noticed probably in this podcast that I don't limit my guests to only people that use perfectly aligned intuitive eating language. And I, and I do that intentionally because there's a lot 
of people that we need to learn from in this area. And we need to start having these nuanced conversations where we can have productive conversations and we can all learn and grow together and know that what works for one person is not always going to work for someone else or feel right for them. But also that we have a lot to learn from one another and um, we can continue to work on that. And we don't have to show up perfectly as a you know, recovering perfectionist, I suppose. It's something that I always work on. And I, I believe, I believe that um, bringing these nuanced conversations is, is crucial. So I feel excited about that. So we're going to really be covering things like the crucial role of emotional safety in shifting behaviors, why empathy alone is not enough for behavior change. It's really the combination of empathy plus boundaries that is so important for that long-term sustainable change. Then we're going to talk about what empathy truly looks like and how to apply it to yourself and others. And this is something that, like, in learning from Randy, I, I could have been like, well, I already know what empathy is, right? The reality is that I was missing some pieces of what true empathy is with regards to how I showed up for my kids, but also in other areas. So if you are... <laughs> learning something from that, I think you will take something from it because a lot of us are actually missing the mark on what we think, what true empathy actually looks like. So, and then we dive a tiny bit into how an internal family system model um, applies to moving away from dieting and binge eating. And I'll share a little bit about th some of the things I've learned about myself in that area. And then um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about boundaries, why boundaries are the work for most of us in a lot of areas of our life. And um, so, yeah, this is a powerful conversation. We actually didn't get through even close to what I wanted to get through, but we, we covered some really great ground and uh, we'll, we'll definitely be coming back for a part two at some point. But for now, um, enjoy our conversation, my conversation with the one and only Randy Rubenstein. Remember the old diet advice like when the urge to eat strikes, just take a walk or have a glass of water. Usually you're just thirsty, not hungry. If you're anything like me, these suggestions make you want to punch the magazine or the person who said it in the face. So many suggestions to just stop emotional eating are based in diet culture. They're based in the notion that you know what to do, just do it. And I'm here to tell you that changing behavior is hard. We as humans are wired for comfort and disrupting a pattern of emotional eating is challenging. And at the same time, you absolutely can do it and you can learn to prefer it. However, to get started with disrupting this pattern, we need to feel understood. We need to then take small, consistent actions in the direction of our goals. So we're going to leave these super patronizing suggestions at home and get some actual suggestions for simple, fun things to do when the urge to eat strikes when you know you are not hungry. So for some Actual suggestions for this, I have a new free actionable guide. This is a one-page PDF you can pull up at any time with 23 things to do instead of eating, complete with links to videos, fun, inspiring songs, and many different ideas to disrupt the pattern and take a small step towards empowerment and towards that confident person that you deserve to be. 
So grab the guide absolutely free at drhondorp.com forward slash guide. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P forward slash guide to start ditching the shoulds and regaining confidence in yourself today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for any form of professional advice. If you are struggling with how these specific topics fit for you, please make sure you seek out a professional to get that guidance. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could pull out your phone, go to Apple Podcasts, and give me a quick review. You can either just give us the star review or you can write a review there you can let me know what you're enjoying what you'd like to see more of it's a really simple way and a free way for you to let me know you're enjoying the podcast help more people find it and um, help keep the podcast going so thank you so much in advance all right let's dive in All right. Welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I have a very special guest and someone who I, anyone who's talked to me in the last few months has heard many things about the one and only Randy Rubenstein, my, the parent coach that I've been working with for um, six months now. And I had to invite you on, Randy, to, um, and I'll read your bio later um, in the intro, but to to have you come on and bring your expertise. I've learned so much from you in the past um, six months, and I think there's so many parallels to what you talk about inside of your program and kind of getting beneath behavior change. And so we're going to be bringing that to the podcast audience today, and I'm super, super excited. So um, welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm excited to be here. Any time with you is a good time for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so anyone who has talked to me at all, probably in the last six months, I feel like your name comes up basically for the listeners. Um, I believe I was just searching like how to parent a strong-willed child in a podcast player. And that's how I found you. And I'm so grateful that I did because it really has opened up a whole new, as you often say, like unlocking another level of the Sean video game, a whole new level of growth and healing that I didn't really expect. And um, as we're going to be talking about today, applying it to a lot of times applying it to eating behavior, what you've really taught me and, and that I already believed is like how to get underneath that behavior. So a lot of times we think, like for me, I thought it was about my son's behavior or my daughter's difficulty with sleep. And I thought I needed like all the right strategies. And it turned out it was a lot more about me, the way I was thinking about things, the way I was showing up. Um, So I often talk about like this tip of the iceberg metaphor, and we can get so fixated on that tip of the iceberg and trying to like throw out all the special strategies. And I've done that for many years. So you um, have a gift, I think, for helping people get to get beneath there and helping people to really figure out how to move past strategies and kind of get into your, get into your body, get into the emotions, get into the thoughts. And um, so, so yeah, I'd love to just start off with, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into doing the work that you do now? Oh, yeah. Um, I know that's a big one. <laughs> I know it's big. Be- it's a big one because it isn't a linear path and I didn't set out to do this work. It sort of just, it, 
I don't know. I, the only thing I can kind of say is that, and I never have been, I mean, I'm a Jewish person, but I would say I'm always considered myself Jew ish. Like just, I, I, you know, I, I didn't consider myself a, a, a spiritual person really. Um, it was more of like a, like culture. Like I think for a lot of Jewish people, it's like culture and religion kind of merges and, um, and it's part of your identity, but I, I didn't ever consider myself a religious person. And that being said, this path, this, this career path for me, it does feel spiritual because I do feel like I was called to do this and I never would have guessed that however many years ago. And so the truth is, is I became a mom at 27. I got married at 26. I, um, I accidentally got pregnant. Um, I just like, I was like, Oh, I'm married. And I was, my husband's three years older than me. And so, um, I was 26. A lot of the people that we were hanging out with were like 29, 30. And so they were all starting, uh, to try and get pregnant. And, um, a lot of people were having fertility issues. And so I was like, well, shit, I've been on birth control for a long time. Maybe I'll just stop taking it just in to prepare my body or whatever for in a few years. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I stopped taking birth control. And as I was like waiting for my body to get regulated, all of a sudden, I like never got a period. And then I started feeling super tired. And then I was like, wait, could I be like, and so, um, so yeah, so I was pregnant before I intended to be, and I really was just like, oh no. (laughs) And okay, I guess it's here. So when I had Alec, I did not in any way, I don't know if anyone truly feels ready. Maybe you do if you're in your thirties and struggled with fertility for a long time and had a whole life, but I had not had a whole life at all. And before I knew it, I was learning a program called conscious discipline that was really meant for teachers that started teaching me about our triggers and what happens in the brain and why we pass down these generational patterns. And that was fascinating to me. And then I found Brene Brown slowly after. So then I started learning from Brene Brown, why I wore so much armor and how vulnerability was this concept that wasn't a part of my life or in my family. And lo and behold, you know, probably 16 years when Alec was probably like 16, 17 years old. Um, that's when mastermind parenting became mastermind parenting, which was really just a culmination of all the things that I had been learning and, and, and using for my own personal development. I realized I had to share it with other people. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, they say that like parenting is the ultimate, one of the ultimate like self growth opportunities if you let it be and you, and it's, it's, it's interesting to think about like the way that you came up at studying behavior change and how in many ways it's like kind of the opposite of how I was taught behavior change, right? Cause I came in and I was like, I mean, not totally the opposite cause I was going down. I really like facts too and science, but I went this traditional training route and we're being taught all these things about like how to get people to lose weight. And, and then I had to sort of like 
unlearn a lot of the things that I learned, but you were really just like on the ground, does this work? Does this work? And I, I my journey was like on the ground, this doesn't work. This isn't working for people. This isn't working for me. And it's just kind of interesting. And yeah, you've ended up building this, obviously what I believe is an amazing program, but it's also this like really intuitive, like trying it. And that's, I think one of the things that is so powerful about your teaching style is like, it's a lot of sharing and a lot of D like normalizing the fact that all of this stuff is really hard and people help people learn really well when we're not in shame, right? When we're like, I feel emotionally safe and I can then figure out and how to learn and tweak and figure out what works. So, yeah. Well, and I, you know, look, I think that um, for me, I didn't set out on this path, but I was faced with a challenge that I couldn't avoid. I mean, the challenge was, I have, I'm raising a human and I, I, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to do things the way they had been done for me. There was almost like, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but what was truly the thing that motivated me, you know, now I've studied so much about, because it's been all about reverse engineering my process because I knew I figured something out. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I do mm-hmm. know that I was in a in a really scary place and my kid, I was really worried about my kid and I would see all these other people struggling and these kids struggling. And so I knew we figured something out over here and there are so many people that are struggling like I was. And if I don't share this, it is, it just feels selfish and wrong. Like I have to share this because I know I have something that can help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dark. And yeah, a lot of people are struggling with it alone, which is basically, I don't know. I mostly felt alone. I had sought out some resources before, but I'm like, nothing is working. Like none of these strategies that I've been taught are working to actually exhibit true change in, in our family. And so, yeah. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really answered your question. I mean, I guess the main thing I want to just say is that, Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's sort of like when people talk about medicine and they talk about East meets West. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, if I got cancer, God forbid, um, I mean, I live seven minutes from MD Anderson in Houston. Like mm-hmm. I'd be right over there at MD Anderson and I'd be going to the best doctors out there to help mm-hmm. me. And I would also be learning as many holistic practices as I could I'd probably be traveling to one of those healing centers in Brazil too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that combination of East meets West, you know, many of us have realized that there's there that that truly is what we want to do is the balance. And so I think it's like, you know, people who are self-taught like me and who learn through experience, I think have something to share. And also people that have gone through the traditional methods and the traditional trainings, right? I think that it's a, it's a collaborative process whenever we're mm-hmm. trying to solve these problems is that we need to find our team of support. And so people like you, 
you know, when people like you and people like me meet each other and there's no, you know, it's not, it's not an egoic battle where it's mm-hmm. like, who are you, Randy Rubenstein, to be doing what you do? And if I was like, well, who are you? You're just, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like we want to come together and just help people get to a better place. And so mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing about like, I think someone like you coming and joining my program. And I have a lot of doctors in my program and therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm like, no, this is these are the it's like, it's like alignment between the good people mm-hmm. and, um, and truly our mission is to help other people, you yeah. know, just live better lives. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been really fun to learn from each other. I mean, mostly I just show up and I'm like, you know, I always feel like, oh, I should be, I should be the expert, but the reality is I'm, even if I was a kid expert, like it's still, we all still need outside help we all still need to look at our blind help looking at our blind spots and um and I've loved our conversations about like just the nuance with the eating and weight piece of things and so that's I know I came on your podcast and that was super fun and just yeah it's been it's been super fun if you're good with it I'd love to jump into a specific scenario about as it relates to eating and because I know you love specific scenarios and I think we want to make this super tangible for um for people that might be listening that may or may not have kids but we'll make some we'll definitely do some scenarios with kids. So scenario number 1 is a mom is having difficulty with her um kids eating, worries that her kids eating too much sugar, feels really anxious and stressed and needs to control the situation so they don't eat too much sugar cuz she's kind of worrying about what that's going to do to their health. So what are some of the traditional ways that you see a mom maybe approaching this scenario and how would you encourage them to maybe shift their or kind of look at this situation differently? When a mom thinks that their kid's eating too much sugar, mm-hmm. they become hyper-controlling quite mm-hmm. often. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. So I coached a mom recently in the mastermind who's kids she thinks are addicted to sugar. And so what she has is she has very specific rules. But when they go to, you know, where they're allowed like one piece of candy per day, Mm -hmm. but then if we're not constantly vigilant watching, you know, my four-year-old, he'll be climbing up in the pantry where the candy is and helping him. Okay. So Mm -hmm. control always leads to rebellion. Mm -hmm. And in all areas Mm -hmm. and, you know, strong-willed kids, they just don't wait for teenagehood. They're going to be that four-year-old climbing up in the pantry, helping themselves to the candy. Like, really, you're going to control the candy? Well, if you have it available and you're being so restrictive about it, then I'm going to go and help myself every time you turn your back. Mm -hmm. So this mom said, but when we go to parties, um, because I want to socialize the party, so I can't like have my eyes in the back of my head. I can't be everywhere. So whenever we go to a party, they just don't stop. They'll, they don't just have one piece of cake. They have as many cupcakes as they can get their hands on. Their hands are in every candy bowl. They Mm -hmm. just are, they, they barely even socialize all they're doing the whole time. They're like Templeton at the fair, you know, they're just like, and so, um, and so I said, you know, obviously it's too controlling. And Mm -hmm. so you gotta, you've, you've got to have some parameters and a different conversation around this. And so the conversation might be 
something like, hey guys, so we eat the food that makes us grow. And then sometimes we just eat the food that just tastes good. That's just for Mm -hmm. fun. And that might be candy or cookies or cake or what have you. And until we are, we've really got a handle on this, we may just not be going to parties for a while and not have those things in the house until we can bring it back into our lives. And we've got a handle on it. And we really are focused on the food that makes us grow. And so what I said to her was, I said, you may need to just take it out of your life for a little bit, just so that they understand that this, and then when you bring, and then when you bring it back in, you can say, and if they're like, no, 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 don't take it. Don't take it. Then you say, okay, guys, I'm going to stop monitoring this. I want you to manage this. So if you really can, you know, eat the food that makes you grow and then say, Hey, would it be okay if I had a piece of candy? I had a, I had a, I ate the food that made me grow. Uh, you know, my answer is going to always be sure. Sure. Yeah. You can have the, you can have the candy, but I want you guys to remember our focus is on the food that makes us grow. The food Mm -hmm. that just tastes good can't be the main staple of our diets. It just can't. Mm -hmm. And so I said, so go to that party, have this productive conversation before you go to the party. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be over here telling you what you can and can't eat, but just know if you go to the party and all you're doing is is focused on the eating the sugar and you're not socializing and having fun at the party, then we may need to just skip parties for a little bit until we have this under control. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so that was, and, you know, and I, and I said, because you micromanaging it isn't working. So why don't we start having conversations where we're really talking about the food that makes us grow and what tastes good and, and, and take some of this focus off the sugar, make it just an extra. Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces to that to highlight. One is that you and I have had this conversation of like, like they're like, I don't hate the way this like the dichotomy of like what it makes you grow. And, and sometimes for some people that could feel restrictive, but it's also this like really nuanced conversation of like, sometimes it really wouldn't at all. Right. And it's, and I also think, and you didn't say this specifically, because I think it's like, that's the strategy, but looking at that mom's relationship with food, and I don't know, I'm not projecting onto that specific mom, I don't know her at all, but being able to look at like our beliefs about food addiction is a super complex, nuanced topic that we actually, that I actually find fascinating because, and you say this with tech a lot too, like that's the same advice you'd give if like tech was out of control, right? right. If like people were just... And so, yeah, we don't have to make it such a, like, it's not, there's no shame. It's not like you're bad for wanting that. And you've said this many times too. It's like, yeah, of course you want the, all the cake at the party. Like who wouldn't, right? And reducing that shame and having this productive conversation of just like, all right, we're going to get it back to a place where we can trust ourselves, where you can self-monitor and regulate to the point that feels good for you. And yeah, I think it's, I've been, I've watched you coach many people in that specific area. I think it's a super nuanced one. And I think people are going to find like the exact rhythm and words that work best for them. But it's ultimately just like supporting the kids and like being able to know, yeah, you can trust yourself and it's boundaries. It is boundaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just boundaries. It's like, it's the same thing with tech. You know, Mm -hmm. we have you know, you have to have the foundation of 
food, you know, people before technology, mm-hmm. right? So if any time, if I see that you guys are making choices on the reg mm-hmm. where you're choosing technology over people, right? Mm-hmm. You're with a group of friends and everybody's got their face in the phone. We're all together and all you want to do is play on your iPad or watch TV or with older kids, you know, be on your phone. Mm-hmm. When all you're choosing, when we're seeing that you're cho- not all, but when you're choosing the majority of the time technology before people, then mm-hmm. we got a problem mm-hmm. and we're going to have to clean that up and then introduce it back in where it's not, it doesn't have such a hold over your life. And so I would say the same thing about sugar. We, you know, it's fun to, you know, it's, it can be fun to eat the food that just tastes good. And Mm -hmm. if I were to just give it a free, make it a free for all, that wouldn't be me doing my job because it wouldn't be a healthy life, right? It wouldn't be a healthy life to let your kids be on tech with no parameters. It wouldn't be a healthy life to let your kids just eat nothing but junk food. And you're a kid. Of course you want to be on the tech all the time, or of course you want the sugar as much as possible because you're a kid and that stuff is fun, but I'm the grown up that is here to keep you safe and healthy. And so I have to put some restrictions on this stuff and it's okay if you don't like it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Right. And so that's just teaching. It's like, and this mom in particular, she was like me and my husband, we're really health conscious and we work out all the time and we, we eat, you know, we're really clean eaters and yada, yada, yada. And so she's got this really restrictive way of living. And so her whole thing was, was, you know, she was like, I mean, she said her eight-year-old daughter, she was like, she's starting to get a little bit of a belly. She's like, I would never say that. So here's the thing. And this is the tricky thing. So many of us, and I've made these mistakes with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So many of us who have done the learning and done the reading and 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 we really think that we have a, a handle on it in our own lives. What, you know, we're talking the talk, but in our brain, a lot of times we still feel like the third grader who felt like the chubby kid who felt other in some way. And Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, you know, because we're now the adult who has learned so much moderation and balance and we're white knuckling our way through not eating that thing or whatever. And then when we see our kids just being normal kids and right, like going through a phase where, you know, they haven't been moving their bodies as much. They have been eating more sugar. They start to be, you know, or whatever, whatever stage they're at. You know, we know mm-hmm. when kids go from baby to toddler, they grow vertically and a lot of, you know, that extra baby chubs mm-hmm. goes. And the same thing happens a lot of times for kids when they go through um, puberty, right? Yeah. Like the kid that, that, seemed like a thick, like it's, I see a lot of times with boys, like the, the boy who was kind of a, a thick, you know, really solid, sturdy boy, all of a sudden he becomes a beam pole because his body grows vertically. Right. right? Yep. And so quite often we interrupt that sort of natural, you know, that natural way of developing because yeah. we get panicky and yeah. then we create an issue where there didn't need to be an issue at all. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, 
body diversity is a fact. We often talk about that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's fear. It's really a protective mechanism of that, that, that mom has probably internalized most likely like most moms and parents do internalize that desire to protect your kid. And it's being able to like notice that and figure out when it's appropriate and when it's not. And, and we live in a complex world, right? Where like tech is everywhere processed food is also everywhere. And so this like intuitive eating, which I deeply believe in can be very confusing to people. And I think one of the things that has been really interesting to me is like the approach that you teach is really about true empathy, but it is also about bringing in boundaries. And I'm realizing, I think that I actually had, I was reflecting on and prepping for this and I I had a, I've run a group. I don't run it anymore, but I used to run a group for people that struggle with stress eating or binge eating. And one of the comments I got in the group was like, Sean, this is like cool and all. I like what you're doing. And I, but like, I need more strategies besides like, just forgive myself. Like they kind of were like, I'm glad you like have compassion for me, but, and so it's, it's that balance of empathy, not shaming. Right. And then, but I think that's also nuanced because you have to see how the the kid could still interpret some of those boundaries as shaming. So I think you just have to be really like aware of that. Yeah. I think you got to live it to give it. And I think this is a process for, for most of us, you know, one of the, my favorite tools to use when I have, you know, a human moment or an oops day is just, hmm which is my tool for curiosity, because Mm -hmm. anytime we can bring in curiosity, it really helps you to override that shame story. Mm -hmm. So if you notice that you have, you know, you had, you, you used to struggle with binge eating and you really have gotten to a place. It's like that mom that in the story I just talked, talked about, I'm sure the super clean eating exercising mom, she has certain days, maybe it's only two a year where she falls off the wagon. Okay. And when you have those days or those moments, when you fall off the wagon saying to yourself the next day, Hmm. And so before you go into, I'm going to be so good today, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get right back on there. But taking a pause and holding some space to say, hmm, okay. So last night when my husband was out and I was, you know, relaxing, enjoying that I got to watch whatever I wanted to watch and, you know, whatever, I all of a sudden hit the kitchen at nine o'clock at night, which I haven't done in the longest time. Mm-hmm. What, what led up to me hitting the kitchen, the pantry at nine o'clock at night? What was I feeling in that moment that all of a sudden that desire, that craving took over me, you know, and mm-hmm. hitting the kitchen at nine o'clock at night and grabbing, you know, some apples and some nuts is a different is something different than going and like searching for like your kid's two month old Halloween candy. Right. Mm -hmm. And like all of a sudden going on a bender. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you can bring a little curiosity in, I think, I think that is, 
I really think that that that's the piece that most people miss because there's always a reason why, you know, why you went to the binge. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting that I've reflected on with the, the, we won't go in depth into the IFS model in this podcast because it's well beyond the scope and I'm still learning about it and I know you're starting to, but what I, I believe deeply does happen and happened for me is that you have like, I don't binge or diet anymore. And that was like what IFS calls like the firefighter um, protective mm-hmm. parts, right. To like dampen down that wound or that pain that I was avoiding. And, but I have some pretty well adept manager parts that I know you kind of know about me. And I've kind of been odd to myself of like, and we talked just last week about how, for me, that's kind of translated into some stress or over obsession about money and like just goals and like doing. And so for the listeners, firefighter parts and manager parts are protector parts. They they attach to what IFS calls exiled parts, which are parts that have been wounded at some point in our life, either by significant trauma or what we call little T trauma, some hurt at some point. And I think a lot of times when it comes to body image, that hurt happens for, and it could just be also the like diet culture kind of legacy burden of bodies are supposed to look like this. And if your body doesn't look exactly like that, you usually get some comments or most of us, even if like I was relatively thinner growing up, but I got comments like, well, look out, like don't eat like that too much or you'll get the like genetically the butt that we have as like this family. Right. And so being able to kind of be onto like moms may have kind of stopped like a binge diet cycle, but they may have learned another overcompensating part that's kind of too rigid and knowing that's still not truly healing that deeper wound and that that you could accidentally pass that on to your kids if you're not doing that deeper work. Yep. I 100% agree with all of that, of course. You know, and I, I look, I think this this whole idea of boundaries um I think this is the work for most of us. I mean, in, in Mm -hmm. all areas, right. Is like learning how to, it's funny having these hard conversations with, you know, like, let's say that you have the kid that needs to go on a tech detox or a sugar detox, right. We have to put, so that we can, bring those boundaries back. And we understand that when I become too obsessive about the, the food that is just the extra fun stuff, when I become too obsessive and hyper-focused on those things, well, that's me not having boundaries in my life, really. Like, I think it's nearly impossible to have, to help your kids have a healthier relationship with food if you don't dig in and do this work for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's being able to look at like, when is it, you know, just the the food itself or the substance, like, like we were saying, I, I like the tech example, because it's tech is addictive to many of our brains, right? Like, it's not just you, but then when is there a deeper, like, shame about it? Or you mentioned, like, I know you sometimes talk about smoking. And one of the things that was so hard to quit was because you had such deep shame about it. And it's, so it's mm-hmm. finding a space where, and I think just being really cautious about with kids, like, and it's a little hard to 
know, like, are they feeling shame? Are they not? Right. And just like continuing to get curious and continuing to be like, who, what are, what are they interpreting based on the messaging that I'm giving? Because some kids, I think if you came in and made some tech, like made those boundaries, they'd be like, all right, like, I don't like that, but they wouldn't necessarily, especially I think it's more prone for girls to interpret it as it's something about me, my body, that's bad, but boys could do it too, I think. And so it's like, that's the tricky thing is, does it feel restrictive to them in an, in a way that's not just restrictive in the sense that like, that's, I want that and I can't have it. Like that is not always bad. And that's what we're learning with like boundaries. It's okay to disappoint your kids, but does it feel restrictive and shame inducing? That's the that's the piece that like, but yeah, doing your own work is going to be the best way for you to show up for the, for them to be able to really figure out what's truly going on and not accidentally project your stuff onto them. Um, which... I mean, the, the food, I think facing your own relationship with food um, and dealing with because I, I mean, I don't know a parent out there who doesn't have some kind of food trigger when it comes to their kids, whether it's their kids being, you know, picky eaters, refusing to, you know, there's a mom in your cohort who she's like, I'm all about growth mindset and, and all the different things. And yet one of her biggest triggers is that she, you know, she works, she's a hardworking mom. She's got a busy career and she really puts a lot of effort and energy into putting these really well-balanced, healthy meals on the table. And her mom is some kind of like nutritionist and food is medicine and all these things. Mm -hmm. And yet her strong-willed child specifically it's like a power struggle every single meal. And so he, you know, that's the thing is that food becomes something that quite often when kids are picky eaters, I don't really think it's about the food. It's just like this very relevant situation where they can engage mom in a power struggle because mom cares so much about what they're consuming you know? Right. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of power in that. And so I find that like that picky eating thing is really just, um, it's really just, it's more of an indicator of something way deeper than mm -hmm. it's not even really about the food. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting as we're talking, because one of my like passion areas and kind of directions we're going in this podcast is to really dive in and have these nuanced conversations, because sometimes what happens in like the intuitive eating world, I would say, is that like, we don't like, we're sort of minimizing the impact of things like addictive process, like food being addictive or having addictive processes. And that can feel really inaccurate for a lot of people and then they kind of dismiss it altogether and then but then we miss this opportunity for the adults and to really embrace like what does this look like for me how can I respect my body and have a flexible relationship with food so that you can truly pass it on and it's really hard like you said it's really I don't know how can can you really teach this if you don't have it not totally figured out but if you're not on the path to figuring it out and feeling hopeful about that I think 
I don't think so. I don't think you really can't. I think you have to do your own work. I mean, that's the, that's the hard part. Everybody. I mean, it's like so much easier to, I think it's why a lot of people go into the healing professions. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) what's the age, what's the age old thing about like, you know, there's no one more screwed up than, uh, you know, than a therapist's kids, because it's like, oh no, I'm going (laughs) to, but right. Like, it's like, no, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to fix everyone else. And then I have nothing left. And then I come home and shut down Mm -hmm. when, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, and so, so I think a lot of people go into the healing professions to, because it's much easier to go and tell everyone else what they need to be doing rather than just doing it yourself. And I think parents do that with their, like, I'm going to tell my kids all the ways they need to eat and live and be because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a lost cause, right? Like I don't have the self-worth to do my own work because I have such deep shame that I never was able to be the student that I, you know, that would have made me impress other people. I was never able to have the perfect body and, um, you know, and be the popular girl and yada, yada, yada. And I was never able to do all these things. So my dreams are sort of forgotten and I'm kind of a lost cause, but now I have these little tiny people that I gave birth to. And because I'm, you know, so many of us come from codependency. I'll just live vicariously through them and tell them what they should or shouldn't be eating and how they should be living their lives. And I'll just put all my effort and energy into those people. Yeah. Yeah. And I can say that I don't relate to this on the food front because I luckily, I think I I got actually on the food front, I felt relatively ready. We'll see as my kids get older, but like so far it's been relatively smooth. But on the other front, it's like just other, a lot of other areas. Like, yeah. And I've done that less, maybe a little bit with my kids probably, but also with other people in my life. Like if I could just fix this person, like, and it's really a deflection away from the work I have to do, which you've helped me to see. And it's yeah. More empowering. Me too. Look me too. I mean, I, I would say I, yeah, I'm a recovering fixer who quite often falls off the wagon. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like like me too. And that's the beauty of doing this work is like even when we fall off the wagon, when we fall off the wagon with our kids, I mean, I have a classic story of with the food piece with my daughter, you know, mm-hmm. and when I visited her as a freshman in college, have you ever heard this story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the seven, pairs of, seven yeah. pairs of pants, mm-hmm. you know, and and so I visited her in college in um, freshman year. And of course- She's a freshman in college. She's, you know, and she, um, she's in a bad mood and we're meeting for dinner and she's in terrible mood. And finally she tells me, I think, I I think it was maybe she was just in a bad mood. And I talked to her after dinner and she said, I tried on seven pairs of pants before I came to meet you. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I just felt really fat and everything. And I just thought you were going to, you know, I was like, you thought I was going to say something? She was like, well, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that got us into a conversation. And then she felt bad and she was like, mom, no, it's not your fault. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it is somewhere I, I passed down my food and body bullshit to you, even though 
I did it so, I wouldn't even let anyone talk about her physical appearance until she was like 14. Mm -hmm. And so I was so conscious of it. I was so sure I hadn't passed down my stuff to her, but then, then she's a freshman in college and here it is. And I'm like, no, that's on me to own. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I owned that and I was like, and she was, and then she felt bad. And I said, no, 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 I am the parent here. I mm-hmm. take care of you. Mm-hmm. You do not take care of me. I'm okay, but mm-hmm. I can own this. I said, and you know what? I do think I did it better than it was done for me. And you'll do it even better for your kids than it was done for you. That's called evolution. And, and, and so I can own this just that conversation. It was like so much healing happened just from that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of what I've seen you coach on for other people. Like if someone it's very similar, like if your kid comes home and is like, I feel fat today, or like someone called me a name about my body at school, like this true empathy approach. And that's something that like, as I've heard you coach other people, I always sort of have, like you say, tears of the hot track to the truth. But like, I often have this like emotional reaction where I'm like, true empathy doesn't often happen with really well-intentioned people who are like, they're so anxious about trying to fix or like, ah, I don't, you can't think like that or you're beautiful or all of this like attempt to reassure and how that actually gets in the way of true empathy, which is like what you've, the language you've used, which is like, oh, really? You feel that way? And kind of owning and like, like you said, telling her like not projecting your own fears about like, what did I do? Um, But, but creating that space to be like, tell me like, cause I think you've said that, like, tell me, tell me more, like what's been, what's been going on. And I love what you said before too, which is like, for the record, I don't see you that way, but that doesn't change. And I actually used that with my daughter the other day. Cause she was having a hard time with like not performing well. Oh yeah. We went bowling. <laughs> she was really mad at herself for not doing this her first time. And I was like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> I used to get so mad when I, she goes, I didn't win. If she didn't do like all 10 pins. She would be mad. And I was being able to empathize and be like, oh, it it feels frustrating when you want to be really good at something and you're not. I didn't say it exactly like that. But being able to say, for the record, I think you did incredible. And I loved how you just showed you just kept trying. You were like, let me try again. And but being able to you can kind of say that for the record, I think your body's amazing and does so many amazing things. And I hear you like right now, that's not how you're feeling. And so I think that's really powerful too. And a very underutilized skill. That's just, you know, true empathy is when someone tells you how they feel, you just believe them. Yeah. And so I think we're so inclined when your daughter says, Ugh, I just feel so fat and ugly. Mm-hmm. And we're so inclined to be like, but you're beautiful. Are you kidding? No. Do yeah. you see yourself? Look in this mirror. Yeah. I'm smart yeah. enough. I'm good. Enough. You're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And like we want to, we want to, we want to prove it. And so my, for the record, like it's after we've believed them. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you tell me why, what, what, what's making you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do you think's going on? Mm-hmm. Is it, 
And she's like, I don't know, Leo, she did it recently. She's like, I don't know. My face is just looking so ugly and bleh. And I was like, I was like, what about it? Is it that it's the winter? Because sometimes I feel like that in the winter too. I get it. Like we're sun people, you know? <laughs> and, um, and she's like, I don't know. I just, and I was like, do you feel like there's something else going on? Tell me. And so I just get a little bit curious. And then mm-hmm. once she knows for sure that I believe her and she's able to kind of vent about it, then I'm like, and let me just say this for the record. I know it's not going to matter. I mean, obviously I'm your mom, so I only have rose colored glasses. You've never looked more beautiful. And I was just thinking that when we were walking and I, you were walking with dad in front of me and whatever, I was just looking at you thinking you've never looked more beautiful than it this season in your life right now. And because I, this just happened when we were like at parents weekend a few months ago. And, and because I actually believed her and she was able to get it. And I didn't just like sugarcoat and invalidate because I was anxious about her saying these things. She was like, Oh, really? Mm -hmm. She was like, yeah, she was like, you connected she, first too. Yeah, she, she could take it in. She could mm-hmm. receive it. And she was like, she was like, that's so sweet of you to say. But I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, it's the truth. Like, yeah, you know, and I said, I was like, no, I feel like who you are right now in this season of life is like the truly essential version of yourself. Like if I could go back to like five-year-old you before the world and life happened, um, And that five-year-old, carefree, magical thinking, delicious little soul, like if you all of a sudden, God forbid, had gotten abducted and your face, your, the age progression showed up on a milk carton of what you might look like now, it would be what you look like now. Like you look exactly the same way you looked at five, like Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. much joy and beauty. And she was like, wow, thank you, mom. (laughs) Yeah. She could actually hear it because yeah, you connected first with just listening and yeah, I think you have to go to your next meeting, but like that connect before you correct. I think that has lots of parallels to how we change any behavior, right? Like, and even just how we connect with ourselves if we're trying to like, because so many people just try to correct their behavior, right? Like, oh, you're bad. You stop eating snacks on the couch. Like that's bad. Connecting with like, huh. Oh, interesting. And it's sort of similar to what you were saying there. So I think there's a lot of power in that. It ties back to, you know, it's like, yeah, this is, I mean, how all these learnings, what do they look like in real life? Mm-hmm. And right, like, so when we have the kid, I mean, I think many of us can relate to bored eating, right? Yeah, like the kid, sure. who con- you know, who's constantly like on the couch snacking yeah. while watching shows and they're just constantly pantry surfing. Um, and it's like, well, maybe they're just bored and this, you know, this boring pastime to fill the minutes and the hours exists, but it's not truly a a life that feels fully alive and self-expressed. And so, um, so all that bored snacking, well, let's get curious. Instead of just saying there are no snacks on the couch, period, end of story. Let's get to the root of what is underneath the board snacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 
I guess we're this. Let's just call this part one. I know. I was like, it's going to have to be. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And because there's so many, like I said, there's just so many parallels to the things that you're teaching, how we relate to kids and how we relate to human adult behavior. Because I only work pretty much with adults, but many of them have kids and it's the same. It's the same stuff where uh, that non-judgmental approach and boundaries. That's how I think many times of your approach, empathy plus boundaries and how incredibly yeah. powerful it is. Yeah. And it's, and it all, look, I think it all, I, I had a, I'll, I'll end with this little story at a couple that I met with years ago. And, um, and I was, we were talking, I was going to be doing a 12 week program with them privately and the mom had been learning the mastermind tools and um, she was like a busy doctor and starting her own practice and yada, yada. And the dad hadn't been doing any of the learning and she was super frustrated. So she's like, I just hire you privately to work with us. And I was like, okay. So they come in and she wants me to teach them all the things. And, um, and so I said, okay, so if I could say, what's the one area of stress that just like, if I could say, sprinkle magic fairy dust and I would get rid of this one area of stress in your life would be so much better. What would it be? And he was like, honestly, it's 50 pounds. I am such, I'm so disgusted with myself. And she was like, she yelled, she was like, we're here for parenting. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. It all, it all matters. And if you're feeling bad about your body, then it's very hard for you to show up in a present moment with your kids, because you're, you've got this constant loop going on in your head of how all the things you ate that day and how gross you feel about yourself. And when you feel terrible about yourself, you're not going to show up as the best dad you can be for your kids. So that matters. I said, and just stick with me. We're going to focus on family, but I promise you Everything I teach you, you will be able to apply to your relationship with food. And a year at, a year later, he sent me a before and after picture. And he was like, he was like, exactly what you said was going to happen. I applied every one of the tools you taught me and I've never felt better. I feel better than I did in college. Mm, and I was like, that's awesome. That, it's, it's all, it's all the same. It's all on it's a continuum. All connected. Getting to that below the iceberg is powerful stuff. And you just never know what it could influence. So that's exactly right. Okay. Adore you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll link to you. You have a boot camp or yeah, a boot camp cohort starting soon. So everyone should go to your website that we'll link and yeah. well, get you know what connected I'm with, with Lindsay. I to see if I'm that's not a good doing, I'm not going to do the next coach week until April actually. Okay. Um, but what I do is every month I well, first of all, I have a podcast. So everybody who has a strong will has a strong will kid, go to mastermind parenting podcast. And there's like four and a half years worth of episodes. You'll learn a ton. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I do a monthly, mostly monthly, um, call called weekend Warm Up, where mm -hmm. you guys can come on. I will coach you. You'll bring your real life scenarios and get to know you. So, yeah. So yeah. I'll send you the link for people to sign up for the weekend Warm Up call. Okay. Yeah. I just want to mention that depending on when we do part two. So yeah. All right. Perfect. Thank okay. you so much, Randy. Thanks, Sean. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. 
Please review from my mom's podcast. Make something from my mom's podcast, please. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.